You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. Those organizations that can go forward and be ready to embrace new things and adapt old things are going to be far more successful than those organizations that keep looking back, keep trying to sort of put a square peg in a round hole and make something that worked in the office work in an online environment. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am your host, Aoife O'Brien. And before we dive into this week's episode, I did want to share that I noticed that on Spotify, there is now the ability to rate and review podcasts and podcast episodes. So I would love if you're listening on Spotify, and I know there are a lot of people listening on Spotify, if you would do me the absolute honor of providing me with a five-star review on Spotify, if you enjoy the podcast, that is, and whichever podcast platform you're using, I would absolutely love if you could rate and review the podcast. It really does help more people to find out about the podcast. So I'd really appreciate that. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Bev Atfield. Bev is the podcast host of People at Work which is a wonderful podcast. I featured on that podcast recently. I will put a link to that episode in the show notes as well. We cover on today's episode a wide range of topics all relating to bringing more joy back to the work. We talk about the human experience at work. We talk about leadership, emotional drivers, and we talk about the pandemic and how much has changed as a result of the pandemic as well. Bev works for Jostle and Jostle is a really interesting company that helps leaders to build connected organisations so that everyone at work can unite and grow together. They do this with a turnkey employee internet and online knowledge communities, both of which help leaders to lead. The approach works. Jostle internets are the go-to place for customers' employees, delivering industry-leading employee participation rates. And since 2009, they have helped over 1,000 organisations to connect their people. On a more personal level, Bev is a human who cares about other humans at work. She is curious about the experience people have at work, the role that leaders play in purposefully crafting and engaging environments that enable people to do meaningful work there. At Jossel, she leads insights and understanding of workplaces, their cultures and people at the heart of them. She is a regular writer for the Jossel blog. She is the host, as I mentioned, of the People at Work podcast and the Conversations at Work dialogue series as well. When she's not in the workplace laboratory, she enjoys a good run, a well-brewed coffee and a gnarly crossword. She also holds a BA in communications and psychology along with an executive MBA. So I know you're really going to enjoy this conversation. As always, follow on social media, get the conversation going. Once you've listened, connect with me on LinkedIn, Aoife O'Brien. That's A-O-I-F-E-O apostrophe B-R-I-E-N. That's through LinkedIn. On Instagram, I'm quite active there as well. Happieratwork.ie, which is the same as the website. Also happieratwork.ie. As always, I will be doing a summary at the end of some of the key points that came from today's episode. So do listen out to that at the end as well.
Welcome, Bev, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have you as my guest today. One of our mutual friends and a past podcast guest introduced us to each other. And I know last month or could be a little bit longer than that now at this stage, we recorded a podcast together on your podcast. I'd love for you to introduce yourself to pe- to the listeners today. Let them know a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. Hi, Aoife. Thanks so much. It's uh, fun to be on the other side of the microphone. And uh, we had a delightful conversation on the People at Work podcast, which is the podcast I host. And I love being able to reciprocate and come back and continue our conversation in a, it, perhaps with just a slightly different focus. So thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to being here. So a quick intro about me, uh, Bev Atfield. I work at a company called Jostle, which is a tech company based in Vancouver, Canada. And my role there is principal of workplace science which is kind of a lot of words just to say that I'm really um, just interested in the human experience at work. And by understanding the science of how people come together and do work, we can actually start to realize what things are impacting the workday experience, what are the emotional drivers of people and how they feel during their workday. And then, you know, what do leaders do once they know that those things are at play, right? So um, I spend my time at Jostle a, a bit on the outside of the business where I'm Uh, you know, I'm out in the community of thinkers and leaders and academics and theorists and people who are actually practicing this in their organizations to find out what the trends are at work Mm. um, today. I mean, especially since we know so much has changed for work in the last 18 to 20 months. And then on the inside of Jostle, I look after our own employee experience and our own leadership development and growth, and really just thinking about how we unite our organization, given all the changes that's happened with us moving to remote overnight and we've now chosen to be a hybrid workplace. So that's presenting a new opportunity for us to imagine what our work workflow and work process and work experience will be for our people. So Brilliant. that was actually a much longer intro, I think, than you might have been expecting, but there you go. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. That's perfect. And there's so much I'd love to unpack in that conversation. And this idea of like the the people science thing, you know, I was like, oh, that sounds like the perfect type of, you know, I would love that title. Love that. Love it. Um, so first thing I want to ask you about, you spoke about emotional drivers. I'd love to know a little bit more about what are you seeing out there as being the emotional drivers at work and how, you know, we'll, we'll probably come on to talk a little bit about how things have changed, but I'd love to know, has there been any change specifically with those emotional drivers in in the last, you know, nearly two years at this stage? Yeah, I, I do think so. And I, I think maybe people have, have been feeling these things for some time, but the pandemic and the way that work changed really just gave us a big shove in the right mm. direction to yeah. surface a lot of these issues. Um, you know, Everything from inclusion and belonging to psychological safety to fairness and equity in the workplace, I think all of those things have really been placed firmly on our radar as leaders and in organizations, we know we've had to look at those things more carefully now because everything was exposed, right? I mean, even though people went home to their homes um, or their, you know, office, wherever that might be, that isn't in their um, company's workplace, um, suddenly we were in those people's living rooms and bedrooms and kitchens, Mm. which allowed us to actually see the day-to-day things that people are dealing with, with Mm. their families, their commitments, obligations, loneliness, isolation, frustration with the pandemic conditions. So 
I think for the first time, leaders actually had an opportunity to really get to know their people in quite a different way. And I think that has has been stressful for leaders because suddenly uh, I think some leaders were caught on their back foot with not actually having the tools and the equipment, the emotional equipment to actually be able to deal with the difficulties that not only they were experiencing emotionally, but what their people were experiencing. So I think those organizations who were already cultivating a, a place of psychological safety, where autonomy was front and center, where there was trust already, I think those organizations likely did a lot better in the overnight shift than some other organizations that weren't ready for that. And I think we've seen that un unfold over time. Um, we've all, those of us who are in the, the people, culture, care about workspace, you can't look very, you know, you don't have to look very far today in the news or in HR literature to see the great resignation or the turnover tsunami mm -hmm. mentioned. Yeah. And, you know, I think Adam Grant actually said it much better than the great resignation. He's calling it the great reprioritization. And okay, I think that yeah. really is what people are starting to realize is that the way that they used to work and the way that they were treated is not the way that they want to live their lives. Yeah. Because work is part of life. It's not two separate things, which yeah. is again, another thing we've discovered. There's now this you know, this mesh and mash of things that are some are work, some are life, some are in between. And people are reprioritizing what they want from their work. How do they want work to make them feel? How do they want mm. to be treated by people around them? Where is their source of joy and growth in their work? Um, and I, I think that we're seeing it in a tremendous number of people are reflecting on the type of work that they want to be doing, but a lot of people are reflecting on how they want to feel and be treated in the workplace. And I think that is the significant piece because we've always had turnover. You know, people move around, people go to different jobs, like that isn't new. What is new is the reasons for people to be changing jobs. And I think mm. it does tie into your area of focus around happiness, right? Mm. It's, it's what is the source of joy and happiness ultimately in my life. And if something is not bringing me that happiness and joy, I'm going to go somewhere else to find it. Yeah. And I think for the most part, people have associated work with something as that has to be a struggle, uh, even if work sucks, they stick it out because of the paycheck or for they've built up relationships or whatever it might be. But exactly that. And I do love that. I haven't heard that up to now. This idea of the great reprioritization. I love that phrase. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Adam Grant anyway, but I love this idea that people are kind of thinking now about like what what do I actually want from my life, you know, and what role does work play in that? And and exactly that. How do I bring more joy into what it is that I do on a day to day basis? Because, I mean, work takes up so much of our time that, you know, if you're not happy in work and this is my whole thing, if you're not happy at work, then, you know, it, it spills into other aspects of your life. It's going to spill into your relationships. It's going to spill into your home life. It's going to spill into, you know, your attitude towards a lot of things if you're miserable at work, especially. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, in, in particular, there is a, a, a subset of our demographic. I, I don't know if this is true for your part of the world, but I was listening to a, a news report in, in Canada about the alarming number of women who are not returning to their original place of work where they were working prior to the pandemic. Okay, yeah. And we, we've heard stats around how um, women have been one of the hardest hit demographics 
during the pandemic because they've had the childcare stresses and the home care stresses and you know those types of things and that that's to be expected what what was really surprising about this um research that was coming to the forefront is that women are just choosing to not go back and not having anything else to go to mm. they they are taking a moment to actually think about what they want for their lives and they're tired of being burnt out stressed um sidelined being asked to do things that are not within their um domain or their focus and they're basically pushing back and saying look we're not doing this anymore and i say bravo like amazing um however we need to get that demographic of people and contributors back into the workplace. So yeah. what does that mean for leaders and organizations? Well, more change, right? More listening, more understanding of what people actually want in the workplace and, and how do people want to feel during those eight, nine, 10 hours at work? Yeah. So I think it's it's a really interesting time from so many angles for us to be understanding what's happening. Yeah, definitely. I I mean I have a few questions. I haven't seen anything specific to come from Ireland. Um, anecdotally, I get that that's something that's that's happening all over, and I have seen the report. Um, I was going to say last year, but it's not, it's not. It's probably only a few months ago now, but it just feels like a long time ago. Um, the report from <laughs> McKinsey that said about 25% of women are not expected to return. That was US-based, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm interested, Bev, to know more about the stats in Canada. And is that a particular demographic of women? Is it women at those senior roles where they might be feeling a little bit more stressed and therefore they're not coming back into that same environment? Uh, is there anything about the type of roles or industries or anything. I mean, I'd love to understand a little bit more. And um, I will definitely, after this podcast, have a look and see if there's any stats in Ireland. And if there's not, then I'm going to go out and I'm going to ask the question myself. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, what I know about the the information, I, I, I don't know that they've drilled down into the sort of the layers or the sort of they've they've haven't cut the data perhaps at least not in the article that I I was listening to um, yeah. but it is to the order of half a million women wow. so it's it's not an insignificant number of people so like what happens to what I'm concerned about is the shift that happens in a backwards direction when half a million women leave the workplace yeah because I I believe in balance, inclusion, equity needs to Mm. be there in order for us to be our best as a collective group of people. And I do believe that women bring a completely different perspective, experience, attitude, um, interest, um, emotional capacity, I think, um, than than men do. So, and again, that's obviously, uh, uh, those those are broad generalizations, but my, my point is that if this is going to continue, we are going to really see a change in the texture of the workplace if there are women absent from the workplace. Definitely. And you mentioned a couple of ways that that, that workplaces need to shift in order to maybe attract those women back in. And that's through listening and understanding. Is there any any sort of practical things that you see that people could potentially do to entice that change? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of, of practical and mechanical things that that organizations can do. So everything from benefits to paid time off to policies around more flexible sick time or childcare time, um, you know, providing supports for women who might be experiencing infertility or 
loss of some kind. Um, I think bereavement leave and the like extending the emotional support structures that we have in organizations, I think are incredibly important for people to feel cared for and ultimately happy that their employer actually thinks about them as an individual human and not as an input into the machine um, to create something for profit. Yeah, I think that's the shift that needs to happen. And that happens through, yes, it's the leadership attitude and it's, it's, the, it's the intention of the organization to operate in that way, but it manifests in all those small ways. So it manifests in XYZ policy and the, the tone and the wording that you use. Like it gets down to that detail. Yeah. And as an organization, you've got to make a decision that your tone, your character, your commitment comes out in all sorts of different ways, not just yeah. in behaviors of leaders. Yeah. So it's it really is taking a a broad look at your organization and understanding where um, you are being inconsistent or um, contradictory to something that you might be saying um, on your careers page as you support employees in every endeavor of their life. But when they join you, they get two days of paid sick time. Yeah. Right? yeah so yeah. it's just finding those, making sure that those inconsistencies don't exist and then really living and breathing um, the culture uh, yes. within your organization. I'm a huge fan of that, as you'll know. Um, like for me, it's about the value. It's understanding what the values are of the organization, but living those values as well um, and creating that sense of inclusion. And you mentioned earlier, psychological safety. I'd love to know, Bev, a little bit more about what you do on the internal piece. So we've kind of talked about a little bit um, more broadly about what's going on external, but I'd love to know more about what you're doing internally with the, uh, with the staff at Jostle. Yeah, for sure. So Jostle is about 75 people. Um, and as I said, we are adopting a hybrid workplace model. So before the pandemic, we were pretty much all in our office in Vancouver. We had a few people who were full-time remote, but we've, we've always nourished and encouraged a real sense of openness and community and camaraderie within our organization. And that has predicated, I think, what we do in, in terms of helping our, our people find joy and happiness in their work. And so there's there's a there's three areas perhaps that I'll, I'll touch on um, in terms of how we define happiness uh, for the context of this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so the first of those is how successful are our jostlers? So we call our employees jostlers. So are they able to grow? Are they able to stay at the level they are at if they wish to? Um, are they able to have open and honest and difficult conversations if they need to? Um, are they given opportunities to look beyond their role and get different experiences within the workplace? Um, are they enabled with the tools that they need to do their jobs? So whether that be practical tools like you know, whatever they need to get their job done, but are they also given the resourcing and the, the people access um, to expand and grow and learn and adapt and be creative and be successful in or, or complete projects that they're working on in a manner that makes them feel successful. So that that's really the, the first area for us. And, and that that directs a lot of our, our learning and growth programs. So we do monthly 
lunch and learns or what we call gather and grow. So we bring um, either external speakers or I work on curriculum that is is tied into, um, it's not really job growth, it's more around leadership and interpersonal development Mm. skills. So it might be things like um, how do we demonstrate emotional intelligence or how do we encourage people to learn how to be more emotionally intelligent or what are some of the relational skills you need to do hybrid work well. So Mm. teaching how to work asynchronously, how to work out loud, how to be more visible in the things that you're doing and who to go to for the things you need. So, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll teach like more typical leadership type skills like um, listening and feedback and difficult conversations, those sorts of things. So so that's the first area um, that we focus on. Um, We also do more formal leadership training. So we have in the past run um, multiple month leadership modules where we are really primarily focusing on how to train our manager level employees. in terms of the the leading and interpersonal skills specifically and within our context. So those would be more specific things around how we deliver our um, development cycle or how we actually work together at Jossel. Um, And then we have a lot of social events. Like we we definitely do emphasize the social aspect of coming together. And admittedly, that's been a little harder or a lot harder (laughs) during the pandemic. Um, it, It seemed like we were all fairly enthusiastic in the beginning about the Zoom dinners and the online quizzes and whatnot, Um, that quickly started to become tired um, because people were tired. They were tired of being behind the the video screen. Um, They were tired of spending nine hours a day being on calls with their their (laughs) workmates and then to Mm. have to be on a social call with their workmates, not as much fun. So that's we, we did start to see that we needed to reimagine how we bring people together. Mm. And so um, as we've been able to start coming back into our office, we are emphasizing our in-person events a lot more um, with restrictions, of course, and, and hopefully one day we'll get back to full in-person events. Um, but we also encourage people to get to know each other outside of their immediate working teams and groups. And we do that in a couple of ways. So we use our own platform extensively. So Mm. our product is an employee success platform. Um, We are an evolved intranet essentially where we are the hub within an organization. So it's the place that people will go to connect to people, connect to news, connect to things that they need to do their workday without the noise and clutter um, of a traditional intranet. So we use that extensively for our own communication. That's where our culture is alive and well. Mm. Um, And so what we've done using that tool is we have a couple things that we make available to people. So the first is we pair people up on a weekly basis in a random way to have a one-on-one coffee chat. So using our platform, we have this ability to set up tasks. So on a Monday morning, two jostlers will get paired together and everybody, this happens to everyone unless they've opted out and you'll get a notification to say, oh, you've been paired with Bob, um, set up a meeting to chat at some point this week. And, you know, some people do it, some people don't. Um, I I personally love it. I I think it's a great way to have a quick chat with someone that I don't normally talk to. And it, it seems like, oh, it's just another meeting, but 
it actually isn't. It's like a 15 minute quick, quick check-in. Hey, how are you doing? What's new for you? Um, so that's, that's been pretty successful and, and kind of neat that we've been able to do it within our own platform. I love that, that it is, it's totally practicing what you preach, isn't it? It's using what you're selling to other people. Not only is it showing the benefit of your tool internally to everyone who uses it, including those people who are going out to sell it to clients, but it's it's showing them like this is the impact that it can have. Yeah, totally. And and I mean, we we did it obviously first and foremost to give our people a way to connect with each other. But we were also curious about whether you could actually adapt part of our platform to fulfill that need because we'd heard from our customers that many people were struggling with this um, sort of organic one-on-one connection that people were missing from not yeah. being in their offices, yeah. right? The water so, cooler chat. It's totally gone by the wayside. Yeah, you don't have those kind of incidental meetings anymore. And that's something it comes up on the podcast a lot, actually. And, you know, for me, it's it comes back to creating the outcome of what what happens in that situation rather than trying to recreate it necessarily. But if you're trying to build innovation, like setting up random meetings with people who you wouldn't normally speak to, I think is a, is a good way to do that. Yeah. And it, it really does start to provide that proxy for the the social glue that mm. we have all been missing. And I don't know that we any of us was able to imagine the value of that social glue. And by, by social glue, I mean, those moments where you might be walking to a meeting room and you suddenly find yourself in lockstep with Sally from um, sales and you have a quick chat that you wouldn't have had that opportunity. And there's no way you were jumping on a video call to have a quick, you know, yeah, time filling chat with Sally. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so what the, the, the jostling chats, which is what we call them, it does is it, it just, it starts to provide the, the kernel of an idea that you can actually get that same um, emotional hit from that connection with someone okay, yeah. as if you were in the office with that person. And yes, it is different. And I think that's the key part of hybrid that we have to embrace is that there are going to be some things that we can adapt, but some things we need to be doing brand new and we shouldn't have the expectation that they're going to have the same feeling mm. as the things we, we're missing from the office. And, mm. and again, I think those organizations that can go forward and be ready to embrace new things and adapt old things yeah. are, again, going to be far more successful than those organizations that are keep, you know, keep looking back, keep trying to sort of put a square peg in a round hole and make something that worked in the office work in an online environment. So um, the, the other thing that we're doing, which is kind of an, an adaptation as well is, so we, we have something called discussions in our platform, which is basically our chat tool. And we have a water cooler chat channel, um, which okay. people can opt into. And so yeah. the water cooler is set up with an algorithm that pops a new question into the channel every morning. Um, and it's anything from what's the favorite place you've traveled to? What's your favorite color? What was your most embarrassing moment? Mm -hmm. um, and we actually crowdsource the questions from Jostlers. So nice. these are questions that we top up every quarter with new questions. Yeah. Um, and it's that people it's have really actually quite, asked and are exactly. curious about. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's just a different way to to communicate and and share and have a laugh. And and not everyone goes in there every day. And um, you know, different people will respond to different types of questions, but it's it's just a really lovely way to just 
take a few moments, have your coffee and go and have a little bit of a laugh at what people yeah. are putting down or learn about something or someone or, so that's been pretty successful too. Um, now we obviously recognize that there is value in the in-person engagement as well, mm. 100%. And because of that, we are in our hybrid way of thinking. We are hoping that eventually we will be bringing our people back into the office on a regular occasion, um, perhaps on a quarterly basis for, we, we have something called Jostle Fest, which is our um, every four month celebration of what we've achieved and what we're do, looking to do with our platform and with our different domain areas like sales, customer success and marketing in the four months to come. So it's a tradition that we started a few years ago and it, that really does galvanize us around that's our, our every four months opportunity to come together as a whole company. And we adapted it to be online for the pandemic months, um, which I'm really proud of us for being able to put that scale of an event together online. Yeah. But we do know that we actually want to be in person for that event. And that yeah. really gives us like at least once every four months, the opportunity for everybody to come into Jostle and be part of the celebration. And, and we make a real festival out of it. So um, we're going to do that in January for the first time in person. So looking forward to seeing the shift back to that and yeah. you know, just also like having a look at what people get from that and doing yeah. a bit of digging into, um, you know, is this actually something that we want to do in person going forward? You know, are people getting what they need from it? So, yeah, so there's, there's a lot happening for us. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, you touched on a couple of points there. It's the two things that sprung to mind in what you've literally, what you've just said is, is it what people need? So actually, understanding what your employees needs are, but then also asking them. So there's two kind of parts to that. You know, it's it's well, what do they need? And can we actually ask them what they need? And I, I mean, they're the two key things for me. And um, I'd love to jump back if we could into what you said about this the whole hybrid thing and about what makes it su successful and you mentioned about asynchronous communication and working out loud now asynchronous uh, i'm always like uh asynchronous communication <laughs> um is something that i yeah so i'm familiar with that i've been talking about it i've seen lots posted about it and I recognize the name working out loud, but I'd love to know if you could share with listeners a little bit more about what you mean with both of those things and, and what that means in your organization and how it impacts on hybrid working. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take asynchronous communication first. So async versus sync communication is really just, it's, it's temporal, right? So it's about using the right kind of communication at the right time for the right purpose. And so in hybrid or remote work, uh, because people are dispersed and they're not sitting next to one another in an office, this manner of working called asynchronous work has come about or asynchronous communication has come about. And, and really what it means is that you are working on something at a different time than your coworkers might be working on it. And that's actually encouraged in remote and hybrid yeah, work settings yeah, because absolutely. it means yeah. that people can really fully live a flexible work environment. And so it might be that an example for me is uh, if I'm writing a blog article, I might be working on that, you know, at seven o'clock in the morning, um, put it down for a few moments, come back to it later in the afternoon, work on it in the evening, and then loop my colleague in to give it a read um, when I'm almost finished with it. And they would then pick it up and do it on their time. Yeah. So there's no collaboration in real time 
unless there's something I need to talk to that person about in terms of the specific task I'm doing. Um, I am working on it at my pace when I choose to do it. And I'm not holding anybody back with the manner mm. in which I'm working. Yeah. So that's, that's really working asynchronously is just that you are, are working at a time that is different to others, which when you're working in an office, um, there could be a perception that you're working synchronously, but you technically are still working asynchronously. If you're sitting at your desk, just heads mm -hmm. down working on something on your own and no one else is, is, is involved in it, that's technically a form of async work. Mm. But it's more apparent in the remote and hybrid workspace just because of the implied flexibility that you yes. are apart from people and you're on your own doing your own thing. Um, where synchronous communication becomes really critical is when you start to see the urgency of communication. So if I realize that there's something uh, failing within our platform, so let's say I come across a bug that I'm working, I'm, I'm working in, in Jostle and I come across a bug. I'm not going to create a Google doc and document my, the bug and put it aside and email it to somebody eight hours later. <laughs> and wait for like, a reply. <laughs> and wait for a reply, right? Yeah. That's not what I'm going to do. Yeah. I am going to probably jump on a call immediately, a video call. I'm going to text somebody. I'm going to get in front of them using direct messaging in Jostle. Um, I'm going to do something to escalate this in that moment. And I am going to impose myself on somebody else in that moment. So yeah, then, it becomes, yeah, yeah, yeah. then it becomes synchronous. And it, it may not be an urgent matter either. It might just be me going, oh, I really need to solve this problem. And the best person to help me solve this problem is my CEO. And so I will ping him and say, hey, can we jump on a quick call? I just really want to talk this through with you because I'm writing this blog article and I can't finish it until I've figured this out. And I really think you'll be a great sounding board. Then I'm switching from async to sync. So I, th I think it's just becoming comfortable with like finding out what works for you. And yeah, knowing which one, which one to use at which time. Exactly. For you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think that technology is tremendously helpful. Um, I mean, in fact, technology is what makes asynchronous communication possible. Yeah. Um, the ability for people to be working around the world and plugged into the same system or the same cloud-based tool um, is incredible. So, you know, I, th I think async, if you do it well, is very, very liberating. Um, but you do need to have some guidelines. You do yeah. need to have some some practical steps and especially in, in roles and areas where you rely on people's contributions back into the hub and development and technology engineering is one of those examples, right? So if you're running a tech company, you need your devs to be uploading their work into your main system, um, you know, on a fairly regular basis. So async doesn't also mean being in a vacuum. It means you're doing your work when you want, but you do need to have some guidelines around, mm. well, how do you bring your work into the greater um, structure or network that everyone else is working on? So I think as organizations are trying to figure this out for themselves, like really having some clear guidelines about what the expectations are is, mm. is a very important step here. And it rolls up into the, this idea that when you're thinking about working in hybrid or dispersed mode, um, you know, what are sort of the 
some of the, I don't want to say rules, but what are some of the, the things that are non-negotiables for you as an organization? And how do you help prepare people to work that way? I'd love to talk a little bit more about the working out loud then that you mentioned as well. You had some really great uh, examples that I'd love to just go back to and expand yeah. on. Yeah, sure. So um, just to bridge from async into working out loud. So um, one of the things that I encourage at Jostle is for Jostlers to have their async working preferences in their profile. So everyone has a profile in, in Jostle. And so, for example, I have in my profile, my regular work hours are from nine to six every day. Um, I generally take an hour between 12 and one where I walk my dogs. Um, I generally am running in the morning, so I'm not going to be available for early morning meetings. And if you need to reach me on the weekends, the best way to reach me is via cell phone. So that's my profile and my sort of declared way of being available within my organization. Other people might have something completely different. Like they work from 3 p.m. to 4 a.m. That's great. Like, but you do need to declare that. Um, and that is one of the first steps of working out loud. And working out loud in and of itself isn't just about declaring your schedule. Um, Working out loud is about visibility. So it's visibility of you as a person and what you're working on. Um, it's visibility for you to know how you can resource other people. So how can you be of assistance to others? And how do you make yourself available to those people by declaring talents, skills, experience, know-how, connection, ability, et cetera. Um, but it's also about you declaring what you need from other people in order to do your job. So if you're working on a project and you realize that you're stuck at a certain point, um, do you just kind of carry on digging away at it, trying to figure it out on your own? Or do you work out loud and say, I'm really struggling with X. Is there anyone out there that can help me move this forward? Mm. And what that requires is significant courage and vulnerability because working out loud requires you to be comfortable with not having all the answers. Um, it requires you to be comfortable taking risks and putting yourself in a position where um, you might feel like people will judge you for not knowing something. And that ties very, very directly into psychological safety and the types of environments that leaders are creating for their people in order to work out loud um, successfully. Um, working out loud is also about having a clear grasp of the corporate landscape that you operate in. So doing the extra work to actually understand who does what and understanding how you might leverage or connect with people in order to move something forward. Um, so a, a lot of working out loud is about just really being very open about what you're doing, why you're doing it um, in a non-defensive way. And if everybody works out loud, there's no sort of hidden agenda. There's no ego. Um, there's a great amount of humility and desire to actually collectively achieve something um, without the, the noise and the politics that go with teamwork at times. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, so working out loud is, 
there are a few really useful resources about working out loud and I'll, I'm happy to share those. I'll send them to you if you can include them in the show notes, maybe yeah, perfect. Um, yeah. for, for listeners. Um, it's not a very common concept. Um, and people just immediately assume that it's oh, telling people that you're taking a sick day. Like, no, okay. that's, that's yeah. not, that's not what no. it is. It's, it's far more, more than, than that. that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, interesting. I have heard of the concept before and I think it was from Karen actually who connected us. Um, so yeah, very much came from her, but it's such an interesting concept and it's so, I think it's simple, but maybe it's not something that's necessarily easy to implement. Um, Bev, there's one thing that's kind of burning in my mind before we kind of wrap things up. And this is the idea of flexibility that you mentioned in relation, I think, to asynchronous communication specifically. And I'd love to get your thoughts, whether this is what you're seeing out and about or whether it's in your own internal organisation on this concept of flexibility versus maybe shorter working hours or or flexibility versus burning out because we're always available uh, or people are working at different times and things like that. So any, any thoughts around that? Yeah, look, I think there's a lot swirling around right now about how to actually define flexibility within organizations. I've seen a few larger organizations declare that they would be doing X and, you know, requiring their people to come into the office three days a week um, and then basically walk that back and say, no, people can be completely flexible and come in the office whenever they like. So I, I think organizations have a, a significant challenge ahead of them to really find what works for, for people in their organization. And I think the difficulty is that each one of us defines flexibility in a different way, likely. So, and unfortunately, I don't think you can please everybody within an organization. Mm. So I think what you have to do is do the listening, do the asking of people to understand broadly what flexibility means within your organization and your culture. And then I think for better or for worse, organizations need to make a declaration around how how flexibility is defined within their organization and what it means to live that flexibility in their culture. Um, and so maybe for some organizations it is, okay, well, we want everybody in the, the office once a week, but other than that, you're free to work when, however you like. Um, maybe for some other organizations, it's going to be, no, we, we want you to be completely in charge of your schedule. So come in when you want or, or don't. Um, for us at Jostle, we've kept up a pretty open mind in the, the early days here as we've moved into hybrid mode, really just to try and understand the lay of the land for people mm. and, and just because there is still so much uncertainty. So our policy is be remote if you wish to be remote, but our office is open if you wish to come into the office. Uh, we would love to see teams working in the office on some sort of cadence where they do get their face time, but mm. we're not mandating it. That's up to each team. And we actually celebrate microcultures at Jostle. So each team is really empowered to make decisions for themselves about what works for them and how they mm. work together. So that is like for us, we are extending the utmost flexibility to people at this moment, other than we are hoping that this once every four months Jostle Fest event is going to be our opportunity to, to bring everyone into the, the office, including people who work outside of Vancouver. Um, and I, I think just 
we do have to keep listening to people and mm. be ready to make adjustments one way or the other on that spectrum of flexibility. Um, so at, at Jostle, in the spirit of listening, we are currently going through a, a process of stay interviews. So we are having a half hour to 45 minute conversation one-on-one -on -one with every single person at Jostle. And uh, we've got four of our senior leaders who are conducting these interviews. And one of our, our questions for people is, um, you know, what are you missing in hybrid mode? And what we're hoping to hear from that is, you know, what are people actually experiencing in their day-to-day -day as it relates to the flexibility they've got? Are they happy with continuing to work at home? What are they missing about this new way of working? And some of the things we're hearing are, I'm missing connecting with people that I don't normally work with. Um, I'm not missing the commute. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go back to the office full time to, you know, on the other end of it is I would love us to mandate going in the office three or four days a week because I think we were better in person, right? So we're hearing this like range of, of perceptions and impressions of what flexibility actually is. And mm. Our challenge is to distill that down into, well, what's going to be the lowest common denominator that will actually be acceptable to every person at Jostle? It's not going to fully meet every single person's expectations, but can mm. it meet everyone at a baseline? And that's a really tough thing to achieve. I mean, anytime you have a group of humans together, you're not getting consensus from those yeah. people, right? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> and so I think expecting consensus is unreasonable mm. if we think about flexibility and how hybrid is going to unfold and, and be an excellent way of working. Um, and I think flexibility also needs to be considered against the backdrop of usual operating practices. Like we're still in the context of a global pandemic. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah, flexibility yeah. for us now is a very different flavor than it might be when we don't need to wear masks and when we don't have capacity restrictions and where people aren't fearful of using transit to come into the office, right? Yeah. So I think there's still so much uncertainty for us all um, in various parts of the world, but I think leaders need to do the best that they can for now. And be very clear that nothing is set in stone. Like I think that's the biggest lesson about hybrid is it is a moving, evolving, growing thing that um, has no end point. And getting really comfortable with that uncertainty for leaders as well as employees is going to be incredibly important for it to mm. succeed, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So Bev, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what makes you happier at work? I think having autonomy and freedom to explore and be curious and, and to do new things uh, within my role and to really stretch myself is, is probably uh, the selfish answer. Um, <laughs> I think the broader answer is when I'm around people who inspire me, people who I can help grow or succeed in some shape or form, um, either through coaching or mentoring or just working together on someone. And together we achieve something that neither of us or any of us thought was possible or being delighted by an outcome that we weren't expecting. So, mm. um, you know, I think those are two things. Um, I, I like having a laugh with with people. I like feeling joyful at work. 
Um, and I love having the time and space to have greater life integration because of, uh, you know, what's changed for us at work. So I think my happiness has gone up on some measures over the last 18 to 20 months. Um, admittedly, I, I feel like I've had probably some moments of burnout and mm. blurring and unhappiness and dissatisfaction with just the state of the world. Mm. Um, but I think mostly um, I find my joy in, in the flexibility that I have and the, the, the respect that I feel from others around me. Brilliant. Love that. And uh, what's the best way that people can connect with you? So feel free to share details about the podcast. I know you have uh, conversations going on as well, uh, your website, and if people want to connect with you on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so you can find me via email at bev at jostle.me. And uh, I am very active on LinkedIn. So I'm a I'm very easy to find there. You can either search for me on LinkedIn or it's linkedin.com forward slash Bev Atfield, I think. Um, if that doesn't work, just search Bev Atfield. Um, very active on Jostle's blog. Uh, I'm a contributor there um, very frequently. So you can go check out our blog, which is blog.jostle.me. And the People at Work podcast is where I have conversations similar to this one today. Um, you can find us anywhere on the major players or anywhere that you generally get your podcasts, just search people at work and you'll find us there. And um, yeah, other than that, um, we do have some events happening. They're on a bit of a hiatus at the moment, but uh, we do have something called conversations at work, which are more intimate conversations that are, uh, you know, kind of like a fireside chat with a group of friends who are interested in a, in a specific topic around some sort of workplace matter. So um, you can check us out there again, just Google conversations at work and you'll find us. So um, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm very open to conversations. Um, I love talking about this kind of thing. So please, um, if there's anything that I can uh, help anyone with that's listening, or if anyone has an idea for a podcast topic or something they'd like me to research, also love to hear about that. So please reach out. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Bev. I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed our chat. There's probably so much more we could dive into today. There is. There uh, is. In the matter of uh, keeping things to a, to a strict time, um, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to speak to you today. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Same here. And uh, I just love engaging with you and the conversations we have. So thanks for, for this opportunity and uh, let's keep connected. Having listened to this week's podcast episode, I would absolutely love if you could join the conversation. You can get involved over on LinkedIn, Aoife O'Brien, or on Instagram, happieratwork.ie. So just to summarise some of the key points that we talked about, we kind of put a synopsis on everything. It would be, we talked about leadership, meaning and connected organisations. We focused a lot on the human experience at work. And I saw something recently that I thought was quite interesting and resonated a lot that if you think about it, you know, we kind of have this perception of other people are quite businesslike or uh, maybe very generic or something. But at the end of the day, we are all humans. Your customers are human. Your colleagues are human. And if we just treat each other or perceive each other to be humans with needs that similar to the needs that we have and desires similar to the desires that we have. And, you know, just bringing it all back to we are all just human. So it's we're not robots. We're, we don't 
come into work with a lack of emotion or trying to be difficult or anything like that, but just treating people on the human level. I thought it was quite interesting. We spoke also about emotional drivers and what do leaders actually do. We talked about the pandemic and how so much has changed. And really this idea of inclusion, fairness and equity and psychological safety has really been brought to the fore since the pandemic. There's been a a huge driver around these three areas, a a shift in focus for organisations to really be more aware of these different aspects of work as well. With the pandemic, then, we also saw a lot of loneliness, isolation and frustration, but it also gave us the opportunity to know people and to get to know people in a different way. So when you're seeing into someone's house, when you're seeing their pets or their kids or just their living quarters, it really makes a huge difference in terms of being able to connect with people We spoke about the great resignation very briefly and the shifting of that or the the rewording of that by Adam Grant to the great reprioritisation. So it's less about the resignation and more about people as individuals reprioritising what it is that they want from their lives. We spoke about the fact that work is a part of life. It's not two separate things. And I know this has come up before on the podcast where it's work-life integration, work-life balance and and what do we talk about it or work-life harmony, it's been called. But one particular guest in the past, Nushan Samtali, talks about it being just life harmony. So it's not a case of it's work and life. It's just life and work happens to be part of life as well. We spoke about the reasons that people change jobs. So one of the reasons will be the type of work that we do. Another reason can be how we want to feel and how we want to be treated. And if we're not being treated the way we feel like we should be treated, then that's a reason that we are going to leave. We spoke about balance and inclusion and equity. We talked about benefits and paid time off, childcare, supports, emotional support structures and policies that support those kinds of things. We spoke about Jostle in particular and not only how Jostle are helping other organisations, but what they're doing internally themselves. It is a 75 person organisation. They do have a hybrid approach to work. They're really great at building that sense of openness, community and camaraderie and real focus on joy and happiness in their work. And they do that in a few different ways. So first of all, is looking at, well, what what is happiness and, and what does that actually mean to them? And, and for them, it's the success of the jostlers, the growth, the open, the honesty, having difficult conversations. The second part then is about leadership training and manager level employees and development that Jostle provides for its employees internally. The third aspect then is the social. It's more about reimagining how you bring people together. We talked about synchronous versus asynchronous communication, flexibility, having the right communication at the right time for the right purpose. Um, If there's not necessarily, if you don't need to necessarily collaborate in real time, then is it necessary to bring people together? They also then provide a lot of guidelines around communication. So what are the non-negotiables? 
And this interesting idea of the working out loud way of doing things and it's a declared way of being available. So letting people know when you are available for communication, for meetings and having that sense of visibility. So what you're working on, how you can be of assistance to others as well. So what kind of skills, know-how and connections you have and how others can be of assistance to you. And I know certainly from my own corporate background, this hasn't always been the case that we've necessarily known what people's strengths are. And also something that's come up time again, time and time again with conversations I've had with clients, with conversations on LinkedIn, are that people feel like they're not reaching their full potential. But if you provide an environment where you, where people are allowed to talk about how they can be of assistance to others, what their skills are, what their strengths are, then it allows us to tap into that potential that maybe is not being currently tapped into. We talked about the risk and the level of discomfort that we feel when when we show that sense of vulnerability by asking for help. So um, uh, one of the questions posed was, is there anyone who can help me move this forward? So rather than thinking you are deficient in some way by asking for help, it's thinking that what is, you know, who is someone who could maybe help me do this more quickly? This shows a great deal of humility as well. And it's the desire to collectively achieve something. And it sort of takes ego out of the way as well. We talked about the journey forward as well, this idea of flexibility and the challenge that organisations have to find what actually works for them. And I know with the organisations that I work with, they're constantly looking outside. And I know I've said this multiple times before. It's about looking internally, like what ask your people what's going to work internally for you, because what works for you might be different to what works for the company down the road. Keep in mind that you can't please everyone. You need to make a declaration of what the plan is and keep listening. Be open to being agile and making adjustments along the way. Another thing that Bev mentioned about Jostle is that they have microcultures and that the microcultures are celebrated. She also spoke about having stay interviews. So that is asking people not just when they're leaving the organisation about why they're leaving, but those who stay and asking them why are they actually staying in the organisation. As always, I really hope you took a lot away from today's episode and do feel free to get involved in the conversation on social media. Let me know what changes you're going to make. Let me know your opinion. Let me know if this would or would not work for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie. 